We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about Boston versus Philly, a battle of roster construction philosophy. So that's a bit of a mouthful. Obviously, Philly and Boston are playing right now in the second round of the playoffs, and this podcast is less about the analysis on that series and more an analysis on how these teams are built and the philosophy behind that, right? So we have Philly, which uh, obviously Daryl Morey is president of basketball operations, and they have, I mean, what I guess you'd call more of like a classic, uh, maybe analytics-driven approach. And then you have Boston, which, uh, you know, they've drawn a little bit of their own uh, unique approach here, building this team with Jason Tatum at the middle of it. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go through this roster a couple different ways. And we're going to start with just sort of how I kind of parse out the players. And then we're going to move into obviously some analytics uh, backed kind of discussion and theory. So first of all, just kind of wanted to get into the teams and talk about the differences in how they are constructed. And it's interesting in basketball, it's not the exact same way as other sports because each individual player is so important and their skill set is so important. And it's a little less like malleable than maybe a baseball team or something like that. Like you sort of have to build around what your team uh, the, what your team start does well already. So that does influence a little bit, but you'll see like as we break this down that you know there's fingerprints here, especially on the Maury side. I think it's really clear and easy to see. So just like really quick off the top, I'm going to break these teams down in terms of uh, tiers. So we're going to have an A tier of players, which are like superstars. We're going to have a B tier of players, which are really good NBA players. And then we're going to have C tier players, which are like role players. They are legit role players that are pretty good and would get minutes on most of the teams in the league. So uh, starting with Philadelphia, we're going to go with tier A. That's obviously Embiid and Harden. That's the two stars. It's the classic kind of team building approach. You know, you get two stars and then you surround them with shooting with defense and then you see how far those players can take you um i've been really critical of Embiid i pretty much all year obviously he won the mvp playing really well but one of the reasons i actually didn't want to break down this series is because i know harden is dealing with a long-term kind of lingering injury and then Embiid, i, I can't remember what it was something like he sprained his knee or he's supposed to be out a few weeks and he's playing in this series so uh, obviously 
of me not at 100%, still playing pretty well, but nowhere near what he was doing, especially late in the season. So for tier A, we know superstar tier, Embiid, Harden, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. And then after that, we have tier B, which is good players. I'd say like better than your other role players, like noticeably. And for Philly, you have Maxi and you have Tobias Harris. So Maxi is an offensive player. He can score a lot. He's had some big, big scoring performances in the playoffs. And then Tobias Harris, I feel like, I think I've talked about this before. Harris has a really, uh, I guess, bad rap. So basically he got a really, really big contract. And I think he makes like $37 million a year or something like that. And he's like probably one of the most overpaid players in the league, but he still is like a really good player. He's a strong two way forward, which like we talk about this all the time. That is what everybody wants to fill out their team with when you don't have a, like after your star, right? Everybody's like, well, I would love to fill out this roster with a bunch of two way forwards. And Tobias Harris is one of those guys. He gets dinged a little bit in kind of the public discourse because that contract is so big. But like, that's not his fault, obviously. You're like, well, I'll just get paid as much as I can get paid. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, but just as a player, like he is a good two-way player. So B tier players, Tobias Harris, and then Maxi. And then after that, we're going to go tier C, which again is like role players that I think are used. So like role players would be C and D players for most of the league. The bad teams, their role players are more like D and F players, where it's like this player is not very good compared to other role players in the league. And then F players would be like, this is like a fringe NBA player. So the C players, we're going to go with Niang, uh, D'Anthony Melton, who I love and I love talking about, <laughs> Paul Reed, and PJ Tucker. Again, that's Niang, Melton, Paul Reed, and PJ Tucker. So what I did is I grabbed the top eight, basically like the eight that are playing in this rotation. I know we did uh, a podcast, I don't know how many of those two or three ago where we talked about team depth and we expanded it a little bit more. But as we get a little bit later in the playoffs and then I was just looking at who was specifically playing in the series and both teams had pretty much narrowed it down to a top eight, getting majority of the minutes. Uh, we're going to look at the top eight on both teams. So again, just running through it really quick, a tier players, in my opinion, Embiid, Harden, B tier players, Tobias Harris, Maxi, and then C tier players, Niang, Melton, Paul Reed, PJ Tucker. And so basically, you're building super, super high end at the top with Embiid and Harden. And then Maxi is kind of that, like, to me, that intriguing third piece that, you know, is that scoring option. And then Tobias Harris, a two way player, that's a wing. It's above average on both ends of the court. That's valuable. And then after that, you have Niang, who's a shooter. Melton is a really good 3 and D guard. Paul Reed. So I'm putting together, we have a bunch of defensive metrics here at Basketball Index. I'm putting together a defensive playmaking kind of all in one stack because you have deflections you have steals you have blocks you have like fouls drawn uh, when you're drawing like when you're forcing the offense to to you know come in a foul on you so there's a lot of ways to make uh, defensive plays and so I'm kind of throwing together an all-in-one trying to figure out the weighting and all that Paul Reed near the top of the league b-ball Paul is someone to watch because his defensive playmaking on paper is through the roof and I'm interested to see what he does next year, you know, with a whole season of playing time, things like that. Hopefully his minutes go up, yada, yada, yada. And then obviously PJ Tucker, vet of the group, uh, defensive specialist, you know, he's been in the league for like more than half my life. <laughs> um, and that kind of rounds out uh, Philly's roster. That's sort of the idea. Two top end guys. They actually, I, I feel like are, normally teams that are built like this is you, 
like the Lakers in some of the years where it's like you have two really, really good players in AD and LeBron. And then you hope you have a B tier player like they had Danny Green in 2020. Dwight Howard played really, really well that year. And then after that, you know, you have a bunch of guys that like can do one or two things really well. Uh, moving over to Boston, they're a little bit different where for A tier players, I think Tatum's there. I don't think Jalen Brown is. Jalen Brown's the only guy that's like kind of weird in this, like where I talked about having ABC. I think Jalen Brown's like a B plus player. Or maybe, I don't know, like B plus, A minus kind of sitting on that. But he's not in the same tier as Embiid, Harden, and Tatum. So uh, for Boston, we have Tatum at the top in the A tier. Then after that, we have the B plus tier that Jalen Brown, I just made for him. Where it was like, well, I'm just going to group them together with the B players for the sake of podcasting. You're not looking at a spreadsheet with me. So for the sake of organization and just simplicity, I'm going to group them with the B players. But just everybody getting out in front of this, I think Jalen Brown's better than the other B tier players. <laughs> Uh, and then after that, you have Brogdon, uh, White, Smart, Horford, and Rob Williams. So the difference here is, I think, like one of the main takeaways when you have the Philly team, the sort of analytics, we're going to have two stars at the top and Embiid and Harden. And then we're going to have some C-tier players who, Niang, three-point shooter, a forward that can stretch it. Melton, a really, really good 3 and D player. P.J. Tucker has been a you know, little on the three, big on the D player. Like players that kind of – I think I tweeted this out the other day. I was watching – I don't know. It was a game two. And it felt like Boston was a basketball team that had a lot of good basketball players on it. And there's some overlap in skill. And the Philly roster almost felt like – Remember what what are those things called where they're like Zoids or like Power Rangers where like the every Power Ranger has their own like vehicle or dinosaur or whatever the theme of the, the decade is or whatever it is. And then they can all click together to make like the super robot. Uh, that's kind of how I feel Philly's team is built where like Embiid and Harden are like the big chess piece in the head. And then like Yang's one arm, Melton's another arm, Paul Reed's a foot, PJ Tucker's a leg piece. And these kind of C-tier players, which are good role players, kind of plug in like Legos while Embiid and Harden kind of drive, like pilot the giant robot once it's made. And Boston, it's a little bit different where I don't have a metaphor for it, but I, I only came up with one and was the Philly one. You know, I only have so many characters on Twitter to, to, to you know, type things out. And I'm long-winded that's why i'm on the podcast uh tatum is the star here and then jalen brown is kind of like a like a moon he's not quite a star but he's he's not quite a person he's like a moon in between and then you know you have brogdon you have white you have smart you have horford you have rob williams and the big difference there is if you look at philly's team they have two players in the what i would call the b tier and boston has six players like there's a big difference and kind of, I guess, like it, it, I don't know what the answer would be for everyone, but Philly's like, we're going to have two stars at the top. Obviously, a lot of your capital is going to go towards acquiring those players, whether it's the draft, whether it's a trade for Harden, and a lot of your salary cap is going to go there. So after that, you can't have as many B players on your roster. That's why they only have two. <laughs> sure, if Philly would love to have two stars and nine B players, that's not how it works. Every all It turns out all the other teams want those good players too. And then Boston has their single star in Tatum. And then after that, obviously, we talked about Jalen Brown's a little bit of a caveat. But Brogdon, a good player. Derek White, a good player. Marcus Smart, a good player. You keep going, Horford, Rob Williams. Like these players are noticeably better 
than other role players in the league, we'll say. I think I had, what was it? Tatum, Brown, White, Smart, Horford, Rob Williams. I think I had them all in my top 75. Brogdon missed it, but he would have been in that next tier of players. So they're super, super deep in the middle. And then when it comes to C-tier players, Philly has, I thought, four like pretty solid role players. I know P.J. Tucker's kind of fallen off a cliff offensively this year but because he's like 42 years old, but he still is a good defensive player. And for Boston, I had Grant Williams as their only C-tier player. Is like a good role player? It's interesting. Grant Williams actually kind of fits on Philly because he is a 3 and D player. He gives you pretty good three-point shooting. Doesn't really do a whole lot else offensively, but he has a very unique build where he's like a huge guy for being at whatever he is. He looks like he's like 6'6 six, six or something, but he can play a lot bigger. Like he's guarded and beat in the series a fair amount because Grant Williams is huge for his size. Like he is built more like a football player than a basketball player. I would, I've always wanted like him, Desmond Bain, Kenny Lofton on Memphis, all those big guys on the same team together. Uh, But yeah, so that's, I'm getting, getting off topic here, but that's the difference where Philadelphia has got two stars two B-tier players, and four C-tier players. And Boston has one guy at the top in the A-tier, in my mind, six B-tier players. Unbelievable depth. I'm trying to think of a team with this kind of depth. Some of those Golden State teams in their run in the late 2010s had some pretty crazy depth off the top of my head. But it's difficult for you to have... It's 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 crazy. Like there's just not a lot of teams that are built like this. Where like sometimes you forget that Rob Williams is in that mix, you know. Or sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, they did get Brogdon. Where I'm like, how do they have like this many B level players? Like if you were in uh, playing like 2K and you're doing a fantasy draft, each one of these guys, you're like, oh why? Like if they're the last guy on the board and a bunch of other old players, you're like, oh I have to take them. But it's just kind of a difference build where you got one at the top. You know, six in the middle, and then Grant Williams is your is your last guy there to kind of round out the eighth in the rotation. And then he's a, he's a really good guy. He, I feel like he's going to be a free agent. I don't think Philly has the cap space next year, but he would fit in perfectly with like what they like, kind of a, a specialization in their role players. So that's just kind of off the bat how I looked at it, tier A, B, and C. And now we're going to look at it in a couple different stats. So what I grabbed were three stats. It was catch and shoot shot making, which is basically how well you shoot on catch and shoot threes. I guess it's catch and shoot threes. I forgot to include that. Uh, How well you shoot on catch and shoot threes relative to your shot quality. So it's not just your shooting percentage. Like Jalen Brown, I think struggled from three this year. He might have been like 34%. But then I went into the data. He was fourth percentile in three-point shot quality. So hyper, hyper difficult three-point shots. And then, like when you're like, oh, you actually shot 34 percent on like the worst shot quality in the league. Like, okay, that's not that's not as bad as I thought it was. So, three point catch and shoot shot making. Uh, after that, our playmaking, which is like assists but better because it takes into account your passing volume, your passing quality, the versatility, uh, the efficiency, and then obviously your scoring gravity. So, the playmaking is like I really really like that's that's one of our best stats. It's really good. And then lastly, we just looked at D. LeBron total defensive impact. So we have three point shooting. Basically, our playmaking, passing, and overall defense. So I wanted to look at where these teams have the edge. 
And basically, like, I don't, again, I don't want to bore you with like unnecessary details, but I did like do a few things to kind of narrow it down. Cause the problem is, if you look at the entire league, right, for like catch and shoot, three point shot making, if you look at the entire league for that, there's a bunch of guys that just don't do it, right? Because there's a, you know, two backup centers on every team and they play like, 200 minutes they don't take it it bumps everybody up the uh kind of up the ladder so i i said you know you got to take two threes per 75 possessions which again really isn't that much like two threes a game is like another easy way to think about it it's like does do these players take threes that's what i sorted it by and then for the playmaking it's like do these players average more than two assists per 75 or think of it as two a game where it's like this does this player ever pass the ball <laughs> and then i put a little minutes cap on there. i think it's like 750 total minutes which basically you don't need to know much about total minutes played but basically like under a thousand minutes you didn't play a whole lot and over a thousand minutes you were like legitly in the rotation so i picked 750 just because i think like rob williams had missed some time with some injury things like that but i basically what i did is like you actually have to shoot threes you have to be someone that actually passes the ball and you have to play a legitimate amount of minutes because I'm not going to count a guy that played like 250 minutes. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and then the, the deal of Ron takes care of itself because like the to, to be a high defensive impact player, you kind of have to play a lot. You're going they're not going to sit you if you're the best defensive player in the league. So we, we did like kind of the, the tiers A, B and C. And now we're going to look at these uh, kind of stat combos because when you're building a championship team, you are going to need a fair amount of three-point shooting, a fair amount of playmaking, and a fair amount of defense. And I thought they would be a good way to look at the total depth of the team. So first, we're going to look at three-point catch-and-shoot shot making. And Philly has the edge here. So basically, six of the eight players are above average at catch-and-shoot. Uh, again, with the shot making, it has the quality taken into account. So it's how well you shoot on that quality. So Philly had the edge, six of those eight. Basically, the only ones uh, that didn't contribute there, Paul Reed doesn't really take threes. And then P.J. Tucker uh, has pretty much refused to stop. <laughs> he just doesn't shoot threes anymore. He just won't. He'll get it past him in the corner and he just won't shoot them. But I think really interesting here, Niang is a stretch forward, really good three-point shooter, not a defender. He's an F in D. LeBron, but an A in three-point catch-and-shoot shot-making. And then D'Anthony Melton, we talked about it, where he doesn't do a whole lot else, really good defensive player, and then has been really strong from three for a number of years. Maxi, really, really great three-point shooter. And then what's interesting about Philly is they have Embiid, who from their center position, they get three-point shooting, which is really valuable. Obviously, Harden, Tobias Harris can shoot threes. Um, <laughs> obviously, Harden a little bit better at it. But uh, yeah, they have six of eight guys above average on catch and shoot threes adjusted for quality. So I think that's kind of makes a lot of sense when you think of, you know, analytics, you think of Mori, you're building a top heavy team. You want to surround them with shooting. We saw early in the season with the Lakers, they had a historically bad three point shooting. And even with LeBron and AD, it was so difficult to really make anything happen. So they had the edge there. Uh, Boston also pretty good from a three point shooting standpoint, but didn't have the same, like on Philly, Niang is an A, Melton's an A, Maxi's an A+. So these role players are really, really good catch-and-shoot shooters. It's a little bit of a different story with Boston where they have the depth. Like also Al Horford just shot out of his mind this year. He might have been the best catch-and-shoot shooter in the league adjusted for quality. 
uh, something like that. I don't, know. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was really, really high. But then after that, Brogdon had a B because, again, he had a really, really high performance here in terms of three-point percentage, but his shot quality really, really high this year. And you're going to notice like year to year, especially when players change teams or change role, when their three-point shot quality you know drastically rises, that's when they have those career years in three-point percentage. But if you put Brogdon on maybe a worse team, you put Brogdon on the Rockets, and he's not getting those same catch-and-shoot attempts. He's doing everything on ball, and they're all pull-up threes you're going to see that three-point percentage dip. So that's why he had a career year from just three-point and raw percentage. But uh, getting back to the point, White, he's a B. Brogdon, he's a B. Jalen Brown this year was a B-. minus. Smart is a D+. Plus, where you have some depth here. Obviously, Smart, not the greatest three-point shooter. But you have a stretch five in Al Horford, which is valuable. Obviously, Jason Tatum, A+, plus, fantastic catch-and-shoot shooter. But the difference between these two teams is – Tatum's an A-plus as the star, and he's surrounded by solid three-point shooting, while Embiid and Harden are the stars, and they're surrounded by really, really high-end three-point shooting, especially at a guy like Maxi. So that's kind of the difference there in the three-point shooting. Moving on to playmaking, this is where Boston has the edge because when you are Philly and you're built like that Power Ranger giant mech where each like peace snaps into place and it's kind of rigid and you need your stars to create everything and then kick it out to those shooters. Like here's the thing. Role players are not going to be good at three point shooting, playmaking and defense because then they're not role players that you just are like, okay, you're maybe a star player because you're good at all the really important things in basketball. Uh, the difference is with Boston is they don't have all that high end talent that Philly has, but they don't have the same weaknesses. So Brown, a B plus in playmaking. Brogdon, a C plus. White, a B minus. Smart, an A. Where it's like that stable of guys where it's like Tatum, an A minus. Where Tatum isn't as good. Like Harden is an A plus in playmaking. Tatum is not the playmaker that James Harden is. We all know that. But, you know, you look at the B tier guys on Philly. It's like Tobias Harris is a D minus in playmaking here. Maxi is a D plus where it's like they really don't like Tobias Harris defends and shoots the three pretty well. Maxi can really score in a number of ways and not great, not a great defender, really, but also just doesn't pass the ball, like seems to have really hardcore tunnel vision. That's why they're B players. But the difference is Boston has a depth of playmaking where again, they don't have their number one guy. Isn't, you know, he's not Steve Nash, but when you have multiple guys above average, five of their eight rotation players are above average playmakers. That's why they have the edge. Like you're able to really move the ball. You're going to see in the playoffs, Boston's ability to work the ball around, especially Derek White is a really great second passer. So when the ball's moving that much, that's how you get it to Al Horford from the corner and he's all alone. So it doesn't just have to be your star player drives, collapses the defense, kick out for a shot. That's a little bit more how Philly plays. But, you know, Smart can kind of get to the elbow and then move the ball to the wing. And then the wing like moves the ball to the corner. And then that's how they get their defense and rotation that they can then attack. So kind of recapping, Philly has an edge in three-point shot making on catch and shoots. And then Boston has an edge in overall team playmaking. Then lastly, defense. Both these teams are actually pretty good defensively, but when it comes to the depth, 
Boston's depth is just unreal. So they, of the eight players in the rotation, all eight of them are above average defenders. And that's just like crazy. I know I did a podcast in the off season where it was like how you make it to the finals and you needed five above average defenders. So basically of the last 10 years, every team that, or sorry, every team that has made the finals needed four above average defenders. Every team that won the finals needed five. And Boston has eight. So their defensive depth is insane like absolutely insane and some of it's like really high end again rob williams a plus al horford a minus marcus smart a minus Derek white a where it's like this is really really serious stuff here in terms of not only defensive depth but like actually pretty high end defensive talent and philly pretty good six of their eight rotation players above average in defense but they just don't have that same crazy depth you know you have niang out there to stretch it at forward he's an f and d lebron you have maxi who's kind of your third score he is an f and d lebron so there are some weaknesses there's some trade-offs to what philly is getting on their roster behind their star players and then with boston it's again a little bit different one star and then a ton of depth in the middle so just recapping that uh three-point catch and shoot uh shot making philly's got the edge there uh, Boston has the edge in playmaking, and then Boston has the edge in defensive depth. So, from a depth standpoint, uh, I guess Boston has the edge because you know they took two of the three categories. And then one last thing: if you look at, uh, we actually have a team depth tab now. If you uh, have a basketball index account, it's one of the cool things. Uh, our uh, our app developer whipped up Nate, and uh, it's really fun. You can sort it by a bunch of different stats. I looked at it by LeBron, and basically, if you're looking at top eight in a rotation. Boston is third if you're just comparing top eight guys in the league, uh, how they pair up, you know, the, the seventh best player on every team, the eighth best player on every team, the overall depth of the team, Boston's third, Philly's ninth. So they're both good. They're still both like top 10 teams. Obviously, these are two of the better teams in the league. But in terms of depth, I've sliced it and diced it so many ways. We have A, B, and C tier players. We have, you know, three-point catch and shoot, playmaking and defense ways to slice it up. Or if you just go average LeBron, how does the ones, the twos, the threes compare? Boston's third, Philly is ninth. So uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about the difference in roster construction philosophy of two stars versus, you know, Tatum's that star, Brown's that secondary guy, and then filling out the roster with really quality players, bringing in Brogdon this year, because they were like, hey, our two stars are more wing players that are not on ball all the time. So you bring in Brogdon, a point guard who can handle the ball some, can score some, and pretty solid defensively. And you get an interesting blend of like multiple guys where Boston, I would say, is a, maybe you could say it's a little harder to shut down because of their depth. Um, they can have multiple guys have big games, or you know, when someone's having an off night, you have the depth to where it's like it's reasonable to be like, well, Derek White could have himself quite a game, you know, or Marcus Smart could dish out nine assists or whatever it may be. So the Boston construction is different because you got to get a little creative. Because I would actually argue it's a little bit easier to build a team with Embiid and Harden. Um, as opposed to Tatum and Brown. And I mean, I like both these teams. I like both these rosters. I think these this these two teams in the Bucks. I think heading into the playoffs, everybody thought were the top three teams in the East. And uh, obviously, you're going to have a lot of depth on both of those or all three of those rosters if you're going to think that. So I don't know. I just wanted to look at this. I thought that was an interesting kind of takeaway of top-heavy teams with good role players or Boston, and that's obviously Philly, and then Boston having just a ton, a ton, a ton of depth. 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Kind of wanted to look at the roster construction differences, how your your high-end stars kind of help shape the rest of your roster, not only in terms of skill set, but also in your salary cap's going to play into that and yada, yada, yada. There's lots of things. But just wanted to look at overall these two teams and how they're constructed. And I don't know, which do you prefer? Let me know on Twitter, at Taylor Metrics. Do you prefer the Boston style where you don't have quite the high-end talent, but you have a lot of quality, quality depth? Or would you rather have the Sixers team, two stars at the top, and then after that, you know, you got you two guys in Maxi and uh, Tobias Harris, and then after that, it's all role players. So I would say the only scary thing about the Philly team is, you've seen it this year, it's not last year, when Embiid gets injured, it's a more fragile team. I'd say that's the biggest takeaway for me. Boston, you could I mean it's tough. It's tough when your best player gets hurt. Like you're probably going to lose a series when your best player gets hurt, right? That that's I think easy to assume. Like if Tatum goes down, Boston screwed. But after that, you could lose a number of those guys for a game or two and be able to survive it. So, I don't know, interesting debate of top heaviness versus depth. But uh yeah, let me know on Twitter what you think cuz uh I think this is a really fun kind of conversation. I think digging into these two teams. I mean, I I was watching the game today actually earlier and it was like I can't stop thinking about this it's like the only thing i can think about the entire game where i'm like is this machine that philly built gonna beat this basketball team that boston has so i don't know we'll see it's been a good series so far it's been close it's been hotly contested uh hopefully grant williams survives this series he's getting really banged up getting his head stepped on uh he's got to enter free agency all right he's got to get paid but uh yeah it's gonna do it for this episode my name is taylor and we'll see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast